It is a wonderful blessing to be here with you. Um, and uh, Abun is right, I actually invited myself here today. Um, the way this came about was I was at St. Mark's yesterday and I was with Abun Abshoi who I just saw walk in. Um, there he is. And uh, we were doing something this afternoon, so Abun Abshoi, Abun Abshoi, it's fun. Um, Abu Nabtroy said, yeah, but I'm going to have to leave a little bit early because I have something at St. Moses and St. Catherine's because I don't call churches SMSK and SMPs, whatever it is. I, 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 have, a, I have an ethical problem with that. Um, I call them by the saints. Um, so Abu said he's coming here and I said, okay, I'll come with you. So I invited myself. <laughs> Always um, your church Firstly, because I love um, Abuna and Mary so much. Mary, um, Mary is, um, I think I've told some of you this story. When, so I arrived in London on Saturday the 29th of December. Um, and so Sunday um, was... No, so Sunday night was was um, was New Year's Eve, and I had I think three families there, and Mary. So we're talking about 23 years ago, and Mary was there with her family, with her sisters, Joanna and Irini, and her parents. And 23 years ago, Mary was three years old. Um, no, maybe maybe a little bit older. Um, and. Um, so we sat and, you know, we, we had a lovely New Year's Eve. It was only like 15 of us there or something. And then um, Mary's parents said, well, um, would you come and visit us? So Wednesday, I still remember that, Wednesday would have been the, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the 3rd of January, 1996, was my first ever home visit as a priest in London, and it was to Afer from Butros's place, Mary's parents. So it was my first ever pastoral visit in England uh, as soon as I went. And so Mary's always had a very, very special place in my heart. And then she brought an even nicer person as well in, in Abuna John. And then when they were married in London, in England, they actually had our first ever um, traditional morning wedding which is between raising of incense and liturgy. I just had one two weeks ago, actually. So I was remembering the both of you, because we just had a traditional wedding two weeks ago. Um, and it was lovely. And so since then, uh, we've had a wonderful relationship, and I'm very, very blessed to be here with them. And uh, I'm always happy when they come and visit family in London that I get a chance to see them as well. And of course, Abun Abshoi is uh, another dear brother, um, I've known Abun Abshoi as a layman when he used to come to the monastery um, probably almost 30 years ago 27 26, 27 years ago um, and the day that Amber David, so Abuna's biological brother is my brother uh, in the monastery because we're in the same monastery in Amber Abshoi and the day that Amber David and I became bishops, Abun Abshoi was ordained a priest. So, uh, so lots of connections here. So it, it, is, it is wonderful to be here with you all. And I've heard so much about your ministry, and I wanted to come and visit you. We have an outreach ministry in London called St. Paul's Ministry. Um, and I've only ever had, so St. Paul's ministry, it's coming up to its seventh anniversary, seven years. I've only ever had two people ever pray that liturgy with me as, as clergy. One was Abuna John, and the other was Amber David. Um, Abuna John was visiting, and I managed to... Um, and encourage him to come and pray with me and he actually saved me on the day because Paul's has never, has never started late ever in, in the seven years 
And the day Abuna was coming, there was some ridiculous marathon going through London. And we were trying to get to the church. And actually, we usually arrive an hour before. So we were like half a kilometer away an hour before. But to get to where we were supposed to be, it took us an hour and a half. So rather than being early, we were half an hour late. To the extent that I almost had one of the people serving with me send an email and say, we're, we're cancelling. Because, I mean, if I'm having this problem, so is everybody else. So, Abuna somehow, because he was coming from a different direction, ended up arriving before me. So they did the Agbeya, and he started to do a few things till I got in. And it was one of the fullest St. Paul's we've had. People still managed to get in somehow. So, uh, and then Amber David was in London um, in August last year, I think. Around August last year. And again, I encourage Sayyidina to... Yes, because we had a wedding. He had um, one of his spiritual daughters was married, getting married in England. And so he came to attend. And I encourage Sayyidina to come and pray St. Paul's with us as well. So that was lovely. So lots of connections. But the most important thing is I am very, very blessed to be here with you all today. Now, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be talking about. As I said, I just invited myself to the party. Um, so... Um, what, what, what's your theme for today? Uh, this, is, this is the first time, Sayyidina, that we talk about leadership. Um, as, as your grace knows, we're not, we're not a very large church, but we have a huge diversity of different ministries. And so we're trying to uh, train all of our servants to be uh, both le- good leaders and good followers. So servants can be involved in more than one ministry and they can maybe lead one ministry, but serve in others. So how can they do that well? So, I suppose the, um, the best model we have, sorry, the best model we have for ministry is to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself because he is he is the the prime example the prime example of the selfless servant the prime example of the servant who will do everything will stop at absolutely nothing for the service of his flock. And so when, when we are servants, um, we've got to put him in front of us. And the one thing I always comment on, because of course, leadership is really important. But one thing we must always reiterate is leadership in the church is very different to lots of other models of leadership. In corporate life, in, in the business world, even in the secular interactions. Because leadership in the church is a leadership of servitude. It's a leadership of servanthood. It's not a leadership of authority. It's not a leadership of glory. It's not a leadership where I promote myself or I put myself above others. In actual fact, the model that our Lord gave his disciples, if you want to be first, be a servant unto all, is precisely what we need to be working with in leadership. We need to make ourselves servants to all. Um, and that, that means, actually, even those who don't want us. We never turn our backs. Uh, no, in, in your ministry, as you reach out, as you do different things, you will find lots of opportunities to serve. But you're also going to find lots of time where people say, actually, thank you, but no thank you. And that's where our type of leadership becomes very different because we must be able to place others before us and not be insulted. Um, 
we need to think that it's not about me at all. It's not about my pride. It's not about my reputation. It's not about how dare they. Because, you know, everything that has happened to our Lord in his ministry, we are prone to having the same things happen to us. And even more, because actually we're not God in flesh. So we are going to witness many challenges. We're going to find people who not only reject us, but in the words of our Lord, revile us and persecute us for his name's sake. And that in itself should never make us stop. That in itself should never turn us away from our true mission, which is to be the light of God in the world. So, this afternoon at St. Maurice and St. Verena, we were talking about this concept of being light in darkness. And that it's really important for us to be that light. Regardless, even if the darkness doesn't want us, because you know what? That's what happened to our Lord. St. John tells us that the light came into the world. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And yet, he still laid down his life. And yet, he still was the example of selflessness. And that's what we're called to do. And it sounds horrible, doesn't it? It just sounds really bad. It sounds like, really, why would we do that to ourselves? Why we do that to ourselves is precisely because we know the truth. And even if people reject the truth, it doesn't stop being the truth. So if we believe that the truth is in salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that people reject him doesn't mean that salvation is suddenly going to change. It just means that we need to work harder. We don't need to work harder to push people. We need to work harder to be light. We need to work harder to be examples. We need to work harder so that people, as our Lord says, see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So that they can see us and see our own example and see our witness and see our lives and say, actually, that's, that's something I want. So can you come this way? Because I can't see people over here. I keep, keep trying to look back, but I can't see you. Um, and it's important for us to, to be able to, to be that example regardless. Regardless of anything. Even in the face of rejection. And our Lord goes on to say, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. So your first thing as servants here, is to love one another. Our Lord was very, very, very clear to his disciples. When he sent them, he said, you will receive power from on high, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then what will you do? You witness to me. And he didn't stop there. He clarified even more. You will witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is your Jerusalem. Make sure you're witnessing here. And you know what? This is a family. So... I'm really sorry because um, if you're trying to convince me, um, which no it is, I'm saying even if you have this idea that you don't have any problems here or clashes or conflicts, then with all due respect, I don't believe you or I don't believe that it's never going to happen. Because you're a family. Families have differences. Families have to deal with conflict and difference and, and challenges. But your light, your light starts here. 
Your light starts here. Your witness starts here. Your witness to me in Samaria. We do ourselves and our mission a disservice if we think we're going to go out that door and preach out there and yet we can actually mistreat each other here. I'm not saying I'm not saying you do, Nabun hasn't given me any inside information. So if there's any juicy inside information, I don't have it. <laughs> I'm just speaking quite generically. At the times when there will be difference of opinion even, you need to sort it out and deal with it. And so you need to witness to Christ here first. Because people can tell, you know, when you have visitors off the streets, they can tell when they walk into an environment that is peaceful and loving and harmonious and godly. And they can tell when they walk into an environment that is filled with conflict and struggle and pride and so your first witness in is in Jerusalem here to one another and through one another and through people seeing the way you interact and then you've got to deal with the rest of the world you've got to be able to interact with the rest of the world and you have to be able to interact with the rest of the world in a relevant manner. Now, there are too many people who, who, who think that Christians are um, odd people who have some sort of sect. One of the most offensive things I hear is someone who says, so what sect are you with? And, and the fathers have both you know, studied various kinds of, of theology and we actually we're not a sect at all. We're a church, we're a denomination. We are part of the body of Christ. We are followers of Christ. And so when we go out there, we've got to present ourselves in a challenging way, but in an acceptable way as well. Acceptable in that we know how to deal with the world. We're not foreign to the world. We are in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And being in the world, we know how to deal with the world. But at the same time, we genuinely reject lawlessness and sin and all the things that go against what we believe. And then, we're very careful in following the example of our Lord who said we should, we should not put burdens on others that they are unable to carry. Christianity is never supposed to be a burden. The message of Christ is liberation. And it is encouragement, encouragement and it is life and it is hope. And that's what we must present. We must present that example of life and hope and encouragement. That, that spirit of resilience. So, it's a huge challenge, but it is not insurmountable. It is not unachievable. Because we're not working alone. This is not our field, it is his field. We are merely fellow workers with him in his field. And he empowers and enables us. And he is the one who gives us not only the opportunity to serve, but also the grace and the ability with which we must serve. So I suppose, just in conclusion, if we are talking about how we serve, the one way that we should be able to serve 
is that we serve as the image of likeness of God in the world. Let Him work through us. Let Him guide us. Let Him be effective through us. Let Him touch the world through us. And let us be a conduit for His love, His forgiveness, His hope, and above all, His light. Just some thoughts for us to, um, to talk about. I'm not sure if the fathers would like to add anything, and then we'll get some of your thoughts as well. Add something. That one's His grace just gave me the mic. I don't know what to add. After his grace spoke, like, uh, you know, um, Father John spoke about servant leadership and, um, you know, and I'm not just saying this because his grace, his grace is here, but uh, honestly, from my heart, like, if we need a role model for servant leadership, um, it would be the, the life and ministry of His Grace, Bishop Angelus. Uh, this is very useful, said. <laughs> and in my opinion, like, listen, we, I can give a long talk, and uh, you know, and I can quote Bible verses and this and that. But unless I see this model incarnate, then I don't benefit. And. Um, it's not about his, his grace Ambangilis as a person, but it's about what he stands for and how he carries himself with integrity. And uh, this stems from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Lord showed us what it means to be a servant and, and a leader. The scripture would speak about, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. This is like the climax of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 10.45. And um, he also set his disciples to do, do exactly the same. He picked his disciples and he chose them, whether they were fishermen or some were uh, tax collectors or whatever uh, occupation they had. And they were there as disciples to learn, but also he sent, sent them out as, as leaders. And I'm just thankful that in our generation... Uh, we see great models of uh, servant leaders as uh, our dear father his grace Ambangelos to learn from like honestly like what I learn from the most is not like a big talk but a life and I pray that uh, we as servants would look at the beautiful examples that God has granted us in, in this generation and, and truly learn from them what I see in his grace Ambangelos just That's the last thing I'm going to say. So just, speak, just speak objectively and speak <laughs> I think this is very objective, Sayyid. <laughs> um, look, I think that balance is really important. I think the importance of balancing between being a, a disciple of Christ, sitting at His feet, learning from His life, and being like Him, mimicking what He does, His grace spoke to us about people walking in off the street and um, observing this community. And this is what it's all about. And this is something that we cannot fake. It's something that you feel as soon as you walk through these doors. You feel the presence of Christ. You feel that the Lord is here in the way that people interact with one another, in the way that people uh, respect one another, in the way that people deal with, with each other, that they're living a liturgical life a sacramental life, a way according to the teachings of our dear mother, the Coptic Church. And this feeling is infectious. You can just, you know, you don't have to do much. Just being immersed in this environment makes you love the Lord Jesus and makes you love His commandments and want to follow in, in His footsteps. So it's about a community that is truly worshiping God and praising God. And then the next level would be taking it a little bit higher up, which is, okay, Father John told us earlier about the necessity to lead, not just to follow, but times to follow and not to lead. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus did with the disciples, is that he taught them, they were discipled under him, they learned from him, they looked at his life, but there came the time when he sent them out. Gospel of Luke chapter 9, Gospel of Luke chapter 10, to 
missionary trips of the disciples, sending them out and then coming back and sitting with him and saying, okay, how was it? How did it go? Oh, we're able to cast out demons in your name and we did all these miracles. He said, do not rejoice at all of these things, but rather rejoice that what? Your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. This is what is most important. So there's that dialogue. The dialogue of discipleship, but also of of leadership. I think um, one of the main purposes of the day today is um, uh, Father John, who is truly trying to encourage everyone to be a model of a servant, but also the ability to follow and to learn and to be discipled and to connect with others. And ultimately, it's for the edification of the whole body. When each one of us as a body of Christ figure out our role in that body. The eye does not compete with the hand or the mouth or the legs. Different members, but the same body. And the beautiful model speaks in three parts that we can remember. First Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. That whole concept of the diverse members in the one body. So the more we can work together as a unified unit, the more God is going to definitely um, bless our community, our church. And it's not just going to grow horizontally. And it's, we're not just, it's not just about numbers, but it's about depth. And it's about relationships with God and, and with one another. And again, I'm being very objective. One of my best role models is the ministry of His Grace. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm not trying to say it, and I would say this if Your Grace even is not here. So please don't think that I'm just saying this because I'm not here. Okay, I'll say it next time. So let us learn from these role models. Absolve me, Sayyid. I stole Abuna's speaking slot. He was actually supposed to be speaking to you this evening. So um, thank you for putting up with that. And don't talk about me. <laughs> Sayyidina, may I ask a question? How, how, what are the um, principles that we should abide by or the rules of engagement that your grace recommends for us to keep in mind when we're trying to resolve these conflicts? Your grace was saying that you know, there's no sense in us pretending like we're the body of Christ and going out there to serve Him and to represent Him um, if we haven't learned first to love uh, one another, and we have to kind of take the bull by the horns and and address the issues that are amongst us. But I'm sure there's good ways and and better ways uh, and bad ways of doing that. Maybe your grace can give us some some simple guidelines to follow. Well, I, I really think that there are so many challenges and so many things we need to do and 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 we need to address. Um, it's about a principle and not just about how to act in various situations. So, um, you know, when I speak to, to young people about how to make decisions, um, I'm very clear with them. I said, you know, I'm not going to try to teach you how to make every decision. I'm not going to, because, you know, when you have adolescence and do you have this party or not this party? Do you drink? Do you dance? Do you date? Do you, you know, there are all these questions. And I suppose the answer is, to have a process and a protocol and understanding and a meaning of who we are. So if I understand that I'm supposed to be the image and likeness of God, if I understand that I'm supposed to be loving and sacrificial, I don't have to think of individual situations anymore. I will think of, okay, I need to deal with situation X or Y. Um, is this a godly thing to do? Is it, is it sacrificial? Is it putting others before me? If the answer is yes, then it's right to do. If no, then I shouldn't be doing it. And so what I want for all of us as servants to be is those who follow principles and who have principles. And, and the Buddha spoke about integrity and, and dignity and godliness. And those are things that we must have and we must live by. Um, it's not about a case-by-case -case definition of everything. It's about living with a general ethos. And if we're certain about that ethos, 
if I'm going to be sacrificial and forgiving, it's not going to matter whether I'm doing it in this hall or out in the street or outside the community or anywhere else. That is my nature. That is what I'm supposed to do. So I suppose, uh, you know, one thing we need to be careful of as servants is we don't compartmentalize our lives. So we just create little compartments. So, you know, we're on a Saturday, Saturday here. We're having this lovely meeting. We're going to say the right things, hear the right things, have the right examples. It'll be great. <coughs> but that compartment is locked off for Saturday evening. I then go to work on Monday and I'm a different person. And then Tuesday I'm at my friends, I'm a different person. And Wednesday I'm doing this and I'm a different person. Come back on Saturday again and I've opened that particular compartment and this is the way I live. So compartmentalizing our lives is, is, is quite a difficult thing. And it's often challenging because it makes us very inconsistent in the way we make choices. And, and as I said earlier, it's just about following the model of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given us an example in every way. At times of joy, at times of sorrow, at times of suffering, at times of victory, at times of apparent defeat, at times of loneliness, and times when he's with people, at times when he's rejoiced and received, and at times when he's rejected and people call for his death. Every, every conceivable scenario is there for us. And if we just look at his life, We'll be able to re receive that example. Thank you, Saint. Um, does anyone have questions or comments or? First of all, the incredible diversity of ministry means that almost anything could fit into that category. You know, from the person who looks after the children in the corner, to the person who set up the tables, to the person who made the food, to the person who is speaking and teaching, all servants. And so it is highly unlikely that someone is not cut out for at least one of those functions. God gives us all gifts. The challenge is for us to find our gift and to work through it for the glory of God. Um, and so it's really important for us to understand that. It's important for us to realize that, that God is calling me to something. And God is not going to expect me to do anything different to what I'm empowered to do. Um, you know, St. Paul speaks about the body of Christ. I'm not going to expect my hand to do what my foot does, or my foot to do what my nose does. That just would be unfair, inconceivable, and nonsensical. And God is none of those. If God creates me as a particular member of his body with a particular set of gifts, even if it is setting up these tables, then that's all he expects of me. And our calling changes over time. So, you know, I started serving when I was 16. I started serving in a Sunday school class. And then I served people who are older, and then I served youth, and then I was felt that I was called to the monastery. Then I was called to serve with Pope Schnuder, and then I was called to serve as a priest in England, then I was served to serve to, to, uh, called to serve as a general bishop. Now I'm being called to serve as a diocesan bishop, and I'm sure that those callings will continue. We don't, we don't ever just receive one calling. God continues to call us, and it continues to change as our lives go on. So that there's always going to be something for us to do. Um, and we shouldn't be too daunted by the responsibility. Because you have someone who calls you to serve, you have people around you who support you, and then you have God's grace. And so this is not about you 
or me or anyone else working alone. This is about us working as the body of Christ with him as our head. And that is the integral body of Christ moving. Have I stunned all of you or something? <laughs> By the way, I must say I'm, I'm loving these mm. these tea. They look they look very sort of uh, English afternoon tea mm. <laughs> with the sandwiches and the biscuits and you know. So it's exactly what we're aiming for. I'm, I'm, I'm not wondering if you're sort of be, being Gentiles to the Gentiles, <laughs> but. Uh, <coughs> Other questions or comments? We might have a question. What if you and the person you're serving with just have sort of different principles of serving the same service? Uh, for example, someone is about like really delivering the message and one person's all about, no, I just care about love and loving this person, whether or not they really get what, what, the, what the message is or whether or not I actually talk to them about Christ. For example, like if you're doing evangelism in a story, someone will go out and say, let's just love other people. Another person will be like, no, let's go and talk and uh, be witnesses. Um, like, how do you go around doing that? So we're all different and we all have different callings and, and different ways of doing things. Um, it is not only acceptable, but it is desirable for us to be complementary. It is absolutely out of the question that we conflict. And so if we have two approaches that are complementary, then use them. But if I'm going to start to conflict with the person serving with me, other people will start to feel it. Um, and then, maybe, just because I see something in a certain way, doesn't mean that's the only way to see it. Maybe I should try to look at my colleague and think, well actually, she might be right, or he may be right. Or I look at somebody else. Or, or we try to, you know, do a good cop, bad cop. You know, or, or I was... <laughs> I was, I was sitting in a meeting a few weeks back, and I was saying that, and they said, "Oh, you mean good copped, bad copped?" And these were not, they were, these were Anglicans who were saying that. So. But it is, you know, sometimes if you have that dual approach to a person where someone is speaking and the other one is showing love, and and you know, that, that could be a useful thing. Now, I know you didn't mean this, but I'm just sort of going to flag this up. You made it sound almost like delivering the message and loving were two different things. Now, I know you didn't mean that, but I want to flag that up. In that sometimes we think uh, the fluffy approach is not really delivering the message. Or sometimes you think uh, the straight approach is not delivering the message. Actually, they're both supposed to be the same thing. So whenever I deliver the message, I must deliver it lovingly. When I love, I must love truthfully. And so I need to merge those two. Yes, please. So I have a question about uh, what did you mean by dignity? You have to keep your dignity. Uh, Father, uh, the short says the same thing, that we have to keep our dignity. No, I think we said integrity. Not dignity. Yeah, you said both. Um, I mean, it's it's integrity. I mean, if I say dignity, I don't know what I said dignity about. Do you remember? I remember saying integrity. I don't remember saying dignity. Uh, okay, regardless. No, no, because they're both important. So in dignity, but in dignity, we 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 maintain the dignity of the other, not ourselves. Ah, okay. So, and I, I, again, I don't remember in what context. What I do remember is I was touching on what Abuna said about integrity. And in integrity, we must have that as servants. But dignity, I suppose, 
we always safeguard the dignity of the other, um, but also maybe the dignity of the ministry itself, so that we don't undermine the ministry with our own actions. Because if I act irresponsibly, then I could undermine the dignity and the um, integrity of the ministry. People look and oh, look, look at these Christians alike, or look what this church does, or look what these people do, because I may have acted wrongly. My issue is sometimes that as we are serving and we lose ourselves in the service, we get disrespected, we get undermined, and maybe the people will look at, at the service as uh, like the outside world will, will look at this ministry as the people are being pushed down or accepting to be humiliated or whatever. This judgment, this judgment will happen because it happened with Jesus Christ, our mother. But by um, disrespected and pushed around by whom? By, by the people we are serving. But it comes with the territory. Exactly. That's why I, when you said dignity, uh, I was a little bit confused because I find every time I serve, a lot of time, like I get disrespected, I get pushed around by people who are uh, I am serving, but I let it go. Of course, absolutely. Now, the minute we start looking for our dignity as servants, then we're doing the wrong thing. Um, our Lord Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation so no it's not about us maintaining our dignity it's about integrity of ministry and it's integrity of ministry and dignity of others yeah. but at the end of the day especially if you, if you are serving in an environment where people are completely ignorant about God, uh, you can be perceived as somebody stupid because you are doing this for that or you are forgiving them and you are loving them and they are, you are loving somebody who is really bad in this community but you continue to love them. And I think it's okay to be like this. Of course. I, am not, I am not hurting the ministry when I am accepting, accept to be called stupid. No, because St. Paul speaks of us, about us being fools for Christ. Exactly. Okay. Yes, but um, we also need to be careful in that we do not undermine the ministry itself. Um, now, I, I'm not sure if there's something behind your question. It seems like there is. And if there is, that needs to be addressed directly. Because sometimes generic answers aren't going to be helpful. So if you have a particular question, you need to ask the question later. Um, but as a matter of practice, you know, I'll tell you something which is on the extreme side, but something that might address what you're saying. You know, have some people who say, yes, but you know, we need to be able to go into the nightclubs and get people out of the nightclubs because that's where they are. Yeah, right, yeah, okay, but you know, what are you doing in the nightclub while you're getting them out, kind of thing? And what are people's perceptions going to be? Because perception is important. Um, image is important because perception speaks and image speaks. So we've got to be careful that we are also not jeopardizing the ministry by making rash and um, unmeasured decisions. You know, I can tell you, when I started serving, I was, yeah, I'm going to do everything because that's what a priest should do. And then I, I learned late, you know, very quickly, yes, but sometimes you can't do it that way. Yes, but sometimes you have to be pulling back a little bit and doing it differently because you are... All people can do is judge on what they see. We can't blame people for judging on what they see. And if they see me doing something they don't understand, even if it's for the right reason, then 
it could undermine the ministry itself. So it, it does need wisdom and experience. But Your Grace, it's very comforting to hear from someone who's so experienced in service and all over the world that um, our own dignity does sometimes get, or our own pride or honor or whatever the right word for it is, does sometimes get put aside and people do sometimes look at us as fools for Christ's sake and to hear that from someone who is you know very very well respected is comforting to know that you know if it happens to you it you know it, it happens to people who are much greater than me and it happened to the one who is the greatest of all the Lord Jesus Christ as well so we shouldn't I shouldn't be too too shocked or too disappointed, I guess. And, and I think um, if it doesn't happen, there's something seriously wrong because our message is very countercultural. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're presenting a very different model. And because it's countercultural, then it's going to rub some people the wrong way, it's going to appear foolish, it, and, and it, it's going to be challenged. And that's why our Lord was challenged when he didn't do what people expected him to do. You know, as when they thought he was the great king who was going to come and overthrow the, those in authority and give them a new kingdom, they heralded him. But then when he talked about destroying um, temples metaphorically and um, giving a new life and a new understanding metaphorically they thought actually this is not the guy we're waiting for because we want something very different and that's when they started to attack him so um, it, it's not only um, accepted that it's going to happen it should be something that's expected why am I doing Am I doing service because I am following Christ and I'm doing it for myself and my heart? Or I am expecting some results? Results? I don't know. I'm feeding poor people. Is that the end result? Am I... What is the ultimate purpose of service? The ultimate, the ultimate purpose of service is to respond to a calling that our Lord directs to us. Um, and, and it's not um, by coincidence that a lot of what we hear about spiritual ministry is about farming and laboring in the field. Because for something like that, you plow the land, you sow the seed, and then you wait. And for, for many of us, you may not see the result. So it can't, this, this can't be out, output based. This can't be results based. All this is about is me presenting what I'm doing as faithfully as I can. Um, I, I always tell this one story, which is something that happened to me personally. A young, young woman I was dealing with who was going through a really difficult situation and her father was very bad. Very, I mean, the closest thing to evil I have ever seen. And I've met a lot of people. Um, and she struggled and supported her and finally she found her way a little bit and then she disappeared totally. And I tried to call, I tried to... nothing at all. Um, seven years later, I got a call. So I hadn't changed my number. I got a call and she said, this is so-and-so, um, I need to see you. And it was only seven years later that what I was doing with her clicked and she turned her life around. 
and it's quite biblical that it was seven, but it's just it was seven. Um, and that's when her life started to change. So we're not we're not always going to see a result. You know, as far as I was concerned, I had done as much as I could with her, and that could have been the end of it. She may have gone to somebody else, she may have gone to a different country, she just totally disappeared. Um, and so if you're feeding that homeless person, what you are doing there is you are offering the love of God. And you are giving that person hope. And you are making that person feel that he or she is loved by God because you're extending that love that God has given you. If other things come of it, that's great. Um, but I do think, as, as, as Awana Pshoy said earlier, actions do speak infinitely louder than words. And acts of kindness and graciousness and, and generosity uh, acts that bring forth hope and give a meaning of love and, and importance and value are very, very effective. And it makes me a better person. Because I then look outside myself. And this is not just about what can I benefit. It's about what, what I can provide and what I can give of myself. And on that, I think we need to start winding down because I'm going to St. Mary and St. Athanasius in Mississauga after this. And I, want, I don't want to do this thing of rushing out the door. I want to spend some time with you before I go. So uh, thank you for your time and thank you for your patience. It's been lovely being here with you. And thank you, thank you for letting me crash the party. No, I, 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 I gate crashed. Um, but uh, it's, it's always wonderful to be here with you. It's our, it's our, our privilege and our blessing, Sayyidna. Thank you so much for being Christ among us. Thank, thank you so much, Sayyidna. Thank you.